our stories matter. How things work and, and move in our life, they, they matter, they matter. I, I've heard this old saying, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but what you do speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. Have you heard that? Isn't that kind of true? We say one thing, but then we do another. We have a problem of connection between our mouth and our hands. And really where the problem starts with our hearts. I don't know about you, but I want people to think I'm better than I really am. Am I the only person like that? You know, I want to make this appearance like I'm better. And the question is, and here, this is a good question because this is really one that pastors have been discussing. How can we tell a non-Christian from a Christian? What is the, differ, the difference? Is a Christian somebody who attends a gathering or dresses a certain way or uses a certain vocabulary? Have you all noticed that it, there's some words that are never used in society except for in church, like the word midst? We're praying that the Lord would be in our midst. You don't go to H-E-B and say, I'm glad you're in my midst today, right? It's one of those church words. You might get thrown out of H-E-B if you said that. Is it about rules? Is it about music we enjoy? Is it about, is it about the football team we root for? Is it about the fast food we eat? Because, you know, Burger King's of the world and Chick-fil-A's from Jesus, uh, right? Is it those things? Well, this is what Jesus said. He said, now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Now, listen to me very carefully. This changes it a bit because Jesus always ratchets up the expectations when we follow him. He always does this. He says, come and see, pretty low commitment. Then he says, come and follow, a little more intense, but not, but not really that intense. Just follow, come and serve. It's okay, I'm gonna have to lay down my rights. And then he says, come and die. You go, whoa, whoa. This, is, this is took, took a hard turn, didn't it? From come and see to come and die. And though it, then he says in what we call the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. That's a come and follow statement. A come and die statement says love them like I've loved you. You see, I can treat somebody out of self-serving because I want them to treat me better. But when I start loving them like Jesus, that's a little higher expectation, don't you think? Because then I'm going to have to start overlooking their faults and their, their warpness and their weirdness. I talked in our, in our conference this week about how we are family. We're not an organization or institution, we're family. And every family has a weird uncle, don't they? You know, I had a weird uncle. He's with the Lord now, but he was a high-functioning uh, guy, high-functioning autistic guy, I think. Um, he, uh, he developed the North American defense system for the military. So was that say he's pretty smart? Yeah, and he was a mathematician. He was just amazing. But he was a little strange because every time you would see him, he would ask, how much do you weigh? Is that an awkward question? So I was teaching this, and then after I finished this, I said, is there any questions? And Andrea says, Pastor Scott, how much do you weigh? So thank you, Andrea. We loved having Andrea with us. Yeah, okay. But the truth is, we're supposed to love people. And we're known by our love, not by our legalism, not by our dress, not by our customs or our mannerisms, but by our love. And love, I was telling a friend the other night that love has no denomination. Did you know that? Love does not have any nationality. Love doesn't have an ethnicity. 
Love covers all things. And Paul said to the church, and uh, he says it in, in Colossians, he says, above all things, put on love, which is the all-encompassing garment. It's the love that covers everything. But I have a problem, I do, that I say one thing and I do another. And so I'm just going to talk to myself today. Is that okay? Because none of y'all have that problem, do you? Paul said it this way. What I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Of course, you know, pull that right out of Romans 7, and he gives us a little hope. He says, but thanks be unto God, I have the power over sin through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on in 8, and he says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. This struggle is to become like Jesus. Now, in this, this series, This Is Us, one of the things we say, we want to grow to become like Jesus. We want to be connected with God through Jesus Christ and each other in the church. And uh, we, we did that. And I think, I don't know if I told you this, but the Sunday we did the membership thing, we had 63 or 68 new members. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I got one praise the Lord out of you bunch. Are you people like, who? That's shouting ground. That's amazing. And great testimonies. And, and our deacons and our uh, advisors did a marvelous job of, of helping people take these steps of faith. So proud of our leadership teams in that aspect. And we're to be connected. We're to grow to be like Christ in Christ in character. So we speak like Jesus, think like Jesus, hear like Jesus, have the mind of Christ. Have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And so we're to have the, we're to be spiritually transformed. Then we're supposed to serve God by serving others. A Christian without a ministry is a Christian who's destined to not grow to maturity. So we need every member's a minister. Not every member's a pastor. You can say hallelujah for that. So every member's a minister. And then, of course, we share the love of God in word and deed wherever we go, whether it's in Latin America, right, Ozzy? or in Hamptons, New York, in Costa Rica, or in Cuba, we're sharing the love of Jesus wherever we go, in word and in deed. Whether we're at HEB or in the line at Creekside Cookers, it was, I, I've got to tell you all, this is too funny. We're standing at Creekside Cookers, and a lady was standing there, and she'd gotten a, her a beer, and she was holding the beer, and she couldn't get it open. I said, here, ma'am, hand it to me. I opened it to her, hand it, I hand it back to her, said, now you need to tell all your friends a Baptist preacher just opened your beer. Then I invited her to church. She may be here today. I don't know. <laughs> but it's about taking care of people and have an opportunity to bridge gaps and to speak to people about the love of God and share my hope in Christ. And that, my friend, is a life that honors God. It's a life of worship. And next week, actually, I'm already starting to write next week's sermon. We're talking about present yourselves a living sacrifice. You know what the problem with the living sacrifice is? We crawl off the altar. We forget we're a sacrifice, and we go back to being self-centered. So in this strange way, in this struggle to love God and to become like Christ and love people, because we believe in a great commitment to the great commandment, the great commission, that how do I do this? What do I do? So we're going to look at a passage of Scripture out of the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you have a Bible, you can turn there with me. And we're going to look at that. We're going to kind of go through it a piece at a time and look at what Paul's saying here. Now, the passage I'm using will be up on the screen as well. So just relax at that. And let me also remind you of our online resources. We've got more for you online that digs deeper in this. Now, as I was preparing for this, I thought about Paul is talking about living a transformed life. 
and he's writing to a church that was in the middle of the pagan world, the most pagan city in the ancient world in Corinth. And every night, a thousand or more temple prostitutes would descend upon the city with their heads shaven, showing that they were prostitutes. And they would, uh, they would engage in sexual activity with anyone who was willing, not for money, but to praise the goddess of love. And this is what Paul was writing to this kind of perverted city. But it wasn't just perverted with sexual perversion. There was every, every other kind of debauchery you can imagine in Corinth. And Paul's writing to this church. He's saying, hey, 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 you got to live different because the difference maker has moved into your heart. Now, we don't live in Corinth. We live in Wimberley. Uh, our debauchery is much more sophisticated and covered up. But I still struggle with doing what I should do when I should do it. And I really struggling, I struggle with love. But let's let God's word build our lives today. Are y'all ready? Father, thank you for what you want to say to us this morning. And I pray, Father, that our decisions will become our destinies and that our life will be shaped and built by you. I thank you for who you are and how you're moving and what you're going to do in and for and through us. And I pray this all in your son's strong name. Amen. Now go ahead and take out your notes. You're going to jot some things down. We gave you a full, big note page so you can get some things, thing, get some things down. Now here's the first thing I want you to know. You have to decide. You have to decide to follow Jesus. You don't just arbitrarily become a follower of Christ. You don't, you don't get exposed to Jesus you have to decide to become like Christ. I've heard people say this, well, I was born a Christian. No, you weren't. You were born a child of the devil. There has to be a conversion. There has to be a time where you say yes to King Jesus, a time that you willingly say yes to him. And when you decide to live all for Jesus, you decide to come to Christ, that decision, get this, we talk about this a lot. We say, well, we can make Jesus our savior, but is Jesus our Lord? I want to tell you something. Jesus is Lord whether you've decided or not. He's already Lord. And when you come to him, you step into a relationship with him that changes you. Let me read to you what Paul said in 2 Corinthians verse 9 through 10 and then 13 through 14. So whenever we are here, whether we're here in the body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. Our goal is to please him, to please the Lord. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. Now I want to talk about that in a second because this passage is often bent to manipulate. And I want to give you some hope here. And we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we've done in this earthly body. If it seems we're crazy, huh? it's to bring glory to God. So your crazy self is to bring glory to God. That's kind of relieving to me for a second. And if we are in our right minds, it's for your benefit. Either way, Christ love controls us. Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. We all died to our old life. Now, I've said this to you a thousand times, and I want to repeat it to you yet one more time. Every decision becomes a destiny. Every decision becomes a destiny. Yesterday, I was watching football, and in my freezer, down in the bottom compartment of the freezer, I knew it was there. It was a little small pint of ice cream. 
And it was saying, hey, 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 fat boy, I'm down here. I'm cold and I'm delicious. I made a, de- a decision. I will arise and go to the ice cream. I will embrace it in my arms. And so I ate it. And Tara said to me, you know, that ice cream's going to, what's on the lips forever on the hips. <laughs> Every decision becomes a destiny. So I got up and scrubbed the pool and the ice cream went away, but that's not true. We must choose. Listen to me very carefully. We must choose to live all for Jesus. There has to be a time in your life that you devote yourself to Christ. But listen, there has to be a decision every day that I will live all for Jesus. Because we're living sacrifices, we crawl off the altar. I need to be reminded where the altar is and who's in charge of my life every day. Sometimes it needs to be multiple times a day. Can I get an amen? And remind me, I drove in Austin today, this week. I was reminded I need Jesus. Those people need Jesus too. They need a driver's license. They need to get off their dadgum phone. That's all I can say. All right, anyway. See, this is a clear goal to be loving and intentional about our lives. Let the love of Christ, the love of Christ, since we believe Christ died for all, we should also believe that he, he we died for our whole life. Let Christ's love control us, Paul says. And, th- and this is what I need intentionally. And for me to live all for Jesus, I need to do some things intentionally. Let me tell you what they are. I need to spend time every day with Jesus. I need a time in his word. I need a time in prayer. Uh, we have This Is Us journals. I've been using that. I've been journaling my prayers. I've been writing things down and journaling and, and saying, Lord, I need you. Every hour I need, Lord, I write my prayers. And then I can go back and I can read and I say, wow, God's working on this. I pray for my children. I pray for you. I, I pray for Tara. I pray for the direction of this church. I pray for wisdom. I need wisdom. Thank you for not amening that. I need wisdom. I need God to help me. I want to be the man God wants me to be. I want to be the leader God wants me to be. I need time with Jesus because I will drift. I will drift. And I need to be reminded. I need a a biblical group. I need a group of people that I meet with every week that we can pray together and we can dig into God's word together. I have an amazing, uh, amazing small group meets on Wednesday nights with some really cool people. We had a, another group that we birthed and they formed this group and Tara and I went with this new group. Now I've got two groups of people that I really love and love to hang out with and, and I kind of like to go over to that other group every now and then bless them with my presence. They say it's a, a disruption to their intentionality. But see, I, I, I love this. This just makes my heart big. I need a group, whether it's an on-campus group or an off-campus group. I need a group. I need a squad. I need a posse. I need a gang. I need some folks. I need some folks. And then I need a weekly gathering. I need to be gathered together with all the saints so we can sing and worship. I, I love the songs we sang this morning. That We had some old and we had some new. And, and some of the songs really spoke to me because that song, This Is Amazing Grace, that we sang, This Is Amazing Grace. You remember that one? It's a guy named Phil Wickham who sang it. And Phil Wickham is a pastor's son. He lives in San Diego. He's a Christian artist. And he introduced that song at First Alliance Church in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, while I was the pastor there. He was leading worship for us one morning. He said, hey, I got a new song, Pastor. Would it be okay if I sang it? I said, you're the music guy. Knock yourself out. And he sang this, and I said, that is a great song. This is a failing love that he would take my cross, and he would bear my shame. He would lay down his life that I might be set free. 
Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Wow, what great words. And we just sang that. And so that just makes my heart beat fast. And as we sing together, now listen to me, y'all. Singing is not worship. It's a form of worship, but it's not worship. Worship is Jesus of yours. And I sing to Jesus because I belong to him. Have y'all got that? You know, singing, when I sing to Tara, I don't sing to worship Tara. I sing to inspire Tara. It doesn't work, but I sing to inspire Tara. And what I do when I sing to God, I sing about his love, I sing about his mercy and his grace. You see, when we make singing music worship, we make it an idol. And when our idol is dethroned, when you don't sing like what I want, you get mad. Huh. And the Lord our God is a jealous God. He says, I will have no gods before me. I will not even have your preference before me. Oh. I'm going to sing to the Lord a new song, it says in Psalms. Oh. God loves to hear us sing. And I need a, I need a gathering where I can worship and I, I can sing to him in, in, as a form of worship. I can give to him as a form of worship. I can respond to preaching as a form of worship. Y'all, and napping is not a form of worship, so don't do that. But I can do these things because I need a gathering of other believers and we come together and we, we, we feel the bond. And you know what? A non-believer can't worship God, but they can watch you worship and be inspired to come to Jesus. How about that? It's amazing. And I'm going to have to give an account for my life. Now, this is often taught so wrong. And I want to straighten it out. Because I've really been digging with this. At the end of time, when we step into the glorious eschaton of Christ's rule and reign, we will stand before the Lord. And he will then give us rewards for our life. Live all for him. That's, that's what he's going to do. Now, there's the judgment of the, of the living and the dead, and that's the great white throne of judgment. For those who don't know Christ, they're going to be cast into a devil's hell. That's what's going to happen. And their sins are going to be before them. Regret is going to be the jail keeper. And they're going to spend, and I'm going to talk about this next year, when, what Jesus said about heaven and hell. I'm going to talk about hell. We're going to turn up the heat. It's going to be hot in here. I'm going to wear a red suit. We're going to talk about hell. Now I'm kidding about all that stuff. But there's another judgment. It's called the Bema Seat. And what the Bema Seat is, is, is like, it's like an award ceremony. That's literally what it meant in Greek. It was an award ceremony. At the end of the Olympic Games, they would bring the participants forward, and they would give them rewards for their athletic participation. And you're not going to have your sins broadcast before the whole world. Did you know that? Why would God hold you accountable for stuff he can't remember? Because he forgives our sins and he remembers them no more. He takes our sins and he throws them into the depths of the earth, depths of the sea. And he, he hides them behind his back. He removes them as far as the east and from the west. Why in the world would we teach a non-biblical concept that as a Christian, you're going to stand before the Lord and he's going to list out your sins? That's nonsense. That's called manipulation, not biblical exposition. Before the Bema Seed, what he's going to say is that, hey, Scott, let's talk about what I gave you, what you did with it. And then he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, because I see Jesus. When I look at you, I see Jesus. And I realize that, you know, you fumbled on the fourth down, and it's okay. But here's your crown. 
and this is the crown that the Lord Jesus gave to you. And I'm going to take that crown, and I, I'm going to go, no, I'll put it at the feet of Jesus. I said, Jesus, all that you've done for me. All that you've done for me. And all of us are going to have to do that. All of us. Now, some of y'all are going to be by, like a little league soccer team. You're just going to get a participation trophy. <laughs> Go get your juice box, okay? <laughs> Don't be that person. Live for Jesus. Now, God's given each one of us different gifts and talents and abilities, and they, they vary. Some people have a whole bunch. Some people don't have much. And that's okay. God knows it. God loves you. He just wants you to live for him. He, and some of us, we think, oh, that person's going to get a big old crown of righteousness. They're really not. It may be the widow woman who lived in obscurity and loved Jesus and prayed and gave and loved her family and her friends that Jesus is going to say, she was like me. And that flamboyant preacher that ran his mouth and those ugly shirts he never tucked in, Here's your trophy. Go get your juice box. Are y'all with me? You know, it's really none of my business what Jesus says about you, but it is my business what he says about me. And this is what Paul's saying. When we choose to live like Jesus, then we get this crown of righteousness, and then we all must be motivated by, get this, by love. Christ's love controls us. Christ's love controls us. Um, so we, we need to examine our lives. I wrote this down. We need to check our pride. Do you know pride made the devil the devil? In, in the Building Lives Conference this week, I, I taught a whole new session, something I've never taught before with them. And um, I'm going to tell you just the gist of it. There's five demonic giants that mess up the church. I'm going to tell you what they are. Five. You might want to write them down because I'm leaving my notes now because I think I need to tell you all this. Five demonic giants. Entitlement. We feel entitled. I want what I want when I want it. Elitism. I'm really better than you are. I'm really better than you are. We went to see Downton Abbey and all it was was a movie about elitism. My wife loved it. I, need, I think it ought to be burned and banned. But that's a whole other story. I'm teasing. Don't, don't be writing me. I can't believe you don't like that. And just don't even write me, okay? My email is wyatt at fbcwimberly.com. Um, arrogance. I'm smarter than everybody else. Racism. I want to say this and I want you to hold on to it because I, I want you to get it. And our nation needs to hear this. Being an American is not an ethnicity. Being a member of America is not an ethnicity. We are a melting pot of all ethnicities. My ancestry is Irish and Scottish and English and Creek Indian. He's an Indian outlaw, half Cherokee and Choctaw. That's a melting pot. All of y'all are something. <laughs> right? Now, Ozzy, you may be Costa Rican, but we start pulling on that. You go find some Spanish in there and maybe some indigenous people in there. You know, it's, it's, it's not an ethnicity. 
we should be the least racist country in the world. And racism destroys the love of God. And then the next giant is judgmentalism. That we want to judge everyone. And we're not supposed to judge anyone. So when we're entitled and elite and arrogant and racist and judgmental, those demonic forces are working in our hearts and lives. We are not the hope of the world. We are a menace to society. Oh, so when we come to Jesus, we surrender our rights. We lay down those things. When we say, Jesus, we are yours, we have to deal with the false narratives in our lives and the demonic influences in our lives. Um, do you guys know who Dave, Dr. David Jeremiah is? Okay. You ever heard of uh, Chuck Swindoll? You ever heard of Rick Warren? You ever heard of, um, oh gosh, the guy up in Dallas, can't think of his name. Not Hybels, Bill Hybels, same way. Uh, Jack Graham up at Prestonwood. Y'all ever heard of Jack? Y'all ever heard of Scott Weatherford? Okay, some of those have stuff in common. Some of them have nothing in common. But there are three complaints they hear all the time. You want me to tell you what they are? Three universal complaints. Dr. Jeremiah hears, Chuck Swindoll hears. That's what he hears. The music is not my style. The volume is too loud or too soft. And it's either too hot or too cold in the auditorium. That's the three complaints they hear every week. Not that people aren't getting saved, not that people aren't becoming like Christ, not because people are acting like fools in the parking lot. Complaining about stuff that doesn't matter. Oh. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth so we will be confident when we stand before the Lord. That's what Pastor John said. You see, we have a new life because of Jesus. We have a new life because of it. Let me read what Paul goes on to say in 5, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 15 through 17. He died for everyone so that those who received his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. That is amazing. If you're an underliner, you ought to underline that. So we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. That deals with judgmentalism right there. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. Maybe we heard about him, but we didn't trust in him. How differently we know him now. You know, I heard about him, now I know him. It's, it's, it's different. That means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. That's, that's, that's amazing. That I once was this and now I'm not. Because of Christ. The grip of selfishness is broken by the decision to live all for Jesus. At least it should be. If you are more concerned about yourself than the cause of Christ or the, or the hurt of others, 
that you've got a serious spiritual heart problem. We could say thing one thing yet display another and that we've got a real disconnect. And so we've got to deal with this. We look to love and to live differently because we're new in Christ. It means this, because I'm new in Christ, I could love Tara differently. I could love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. I could love my kids differently. I don't provoke them to anger, but I raise them in, in fear and in admonition of the Lord. I can love you differently. I could overlook your faults and your weirdness and love you. You could love me differently because of Jesus. I could love my neighbors differently because of Jesus. You see, Jesus' love has changed me. It's changed me. And I should live differently. Here's the, the challenge with us in church is that we gain all this information about Christ, but we don't live in the transformation of Christ. And we measure maturity by intellect and not by heart by knowledge and the ability to read a commentary or quote a scripture than by being loving and caring. You see, my theology, what I understand about Christ, ought to shape how I behave toward you. And if it doesn't, there's this huge disconnect. Here's another thing. You have to stop letting Satan accuse you of what you once were because that keeps you ineffective. And Satan's the only one that remembers your past. He keeps you from really living a life of freedom. And you say, well, you know, I would, I would step up and, and do this for the Lord. I would do that for the Lord. But Satan says, no, no. Remember what you used to do? Remember who you used to be? And you go, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's right. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't need to do that. And the Lord's saying, what are you doing? Come on now. I don't remember that. Come on. I forgot about high school. Come on. I know you graduated from college and that was crazy, but you're over that now. Come on. Come on. I saw you how you acted in the parking lot last week and I done forgave you. Now, come on. Come on. You see, Satan is the accuser. Now, I said this a couple of weeks ago and I'm going to repeat it. When you start accusing people, you're acting like Satan. When you start building people up in love, you're acting like Jesus. So who are you going to act like? Act like your daddy. King Jesus, not your old daddy, Satan. Now, I wrote this this morning, and I want to read it to you, because as I was looking over my notes this morning, I said, this really came out to me, and I wrote it down. We often think we're not growing spiritually unless we're under some kind of pressure or guilt. We don't think we really get it unless we really feel guilty. And I'm not sure where this is coming from, but most more often than not, it's not coming from Jesus. If it's conviction of sin to do life differently, that's coming from the Holy Spirit. If it's condemnation and guilt, that's coming from Satan. If Satan wants to remind you of who you were, you can remind him where he's going. And you can literally tell him to go there. Because that's where he's going. 
Yes, the Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin. He never reminds you of your past sins that he has forgiven. That's not from him. And he doesn't punish you with adversity today because of your sinfulness in the past. And he definitely doesn't punish your children today for your sins of the past. You go, whoa, whoa, wait, Scott. It says the sins of the father will visit the children on the third and fourth generation. That's true. But the righteousness of the father that's given, the righteousness given to, by Christ that covers the father, the righteousness of the father becomes a blessing to the thousandth generation. You want to break the power of this generational sin curse in your, in your family? Come to Jesus. And he breaks the power of sin. Oh. We become like Jesus by living in the great cause of Jesus. Let me finish this. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task, the task, of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for our sins that we would be made right with God through Christ. Literally in the Greek there is that we might become the righteous of God. The righteous of God. When God looks at you, he does not see you. He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. And he says, behold the righteous of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold the one who's reconciling the world to me. That's you. We become like the one we love. Did you know that? We become like the one we love. We love like the one who's loved us. We stop condemning people and we start wooing them to come back to God. We stop castigating them to a life of hopelessness and start welcoming them into a life of forgiveness. Hmm. We represent Jesus with love, with mercy, with compassion, and actions of kindness, not actions of judgment or entitlement or elitism or racism or judgmentalism. We welcome them. We stop viewing ourselves as people that are condemned by our sins, but redeemed by the righteousness of God. This is how we become like Jesus. By faith, through grace, to act and to live all for him. Oh. So I must therefore intentionally align myself with Jesus. Why? Because every decision becomes a destiny. So this is us. This is who we are. We are these. We're the redeemed. We're the freed. We're the forgiven. 
We're the empowered. We're the loving. We're filled with grace, giving mercy, extending generosity, standing in righteousness, children of God, living all for Jesus. That's who we are.